In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, Arizona, talks with pastors and leaders as they share their testimonials about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Good afternoon. This is Bob Moffat. I am here with Mark Lucas, who's the local ministry director at Faith Talk Radio at 1360 AM. And uh, we're on the line with Dr. Phil Burgess, who's in Annapolis, Maryland. And Phil has been a friend of mine for many years. I first encountered him when he was the uh, the major professor in a doctoral program that I was attending at the University of Colorado Denver Center in Public Policy. And at that time, Phil, I think you were also the uh, the executive director of the Western Governors Association. Is that right? That's true. Yes. Yeah, and and. I hardly even know how to introduce you, Phil. You're, you're an author, you're, you're uh, an educator, you're a, a journalist, um, you're, <laughs> you went to Australia and completely revamped their telecommunication system. And, uh, well, I was one of several. <laughs> oh, you were I was one. part of a team. Yeah. I was part of a team that we privatized the largest telecom company there, yeah. Yeah, well, the way you told it, you were the leader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, so anyway, but Phil, I know you're a follower of Jesus. And, yeah. Uh, and I... Well, th- thanks, thanks to you in many ways, Bob. I mean, I, I've always been a nominal believer, but uh, when you were in my class, I don't know if you... I don't know if I've even ever told you this, but you were in my uh, seminar for uh, the uh, PhD program in public administration, and one day... You invited me to come to a Bible study with you with a bunch of uh, people in Denver, and so I, I went mostly because you'd asked me, not because I had any you know particular desire to go. And I was I was just blown away by the experience because sitting around the room were uh, some of the most um, influential leaders of the community, as well as just some regular people, and. You know, they're all they're all uh, into the Lord. They're all followers. They're all talking about scriptures and how you can live every day uh, the way you can try to live every day the way Jesus lived. Yeah. And it was that experience that caused me to uh, start getting serious about the Lord. And and uh, then I read Mere Christianity, and one night I was lying across the bed maybe a month later, and uh, I came to that passage where C.S. Lewis says Jesus was ever was was either who he said he was or he was a fraud, something like that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, uh, he's <laughs> and, real. And you decided and he wasn't was a fraud. The, that was the beginning. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. No, I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah. That, Th- thank you for yeah, sharing. I, I told many other I've told a lot of other people that I'm surprised it didn't get back to you. <laughs> well, yeah, it's good to hear. Thank you. Phil, uh, 
the the point of this uh, interview is to discover what you can tell us in your own experience and in the experience of others, because I know as a journalist that you interview a lot of other people. What what are they doing? How do they live out the command of Jesus to love their neighbor? How can they how can they be the hands and feet of Jesus? So, you know, I'd be interested in hearing some of the stories that you could tell us, but also, you know, stories from your own life and your own experience. Uh, that, yeah. Okay. So, what? Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really a journalist so much as I. I in the last um, since 2011, when I returned from Australia, uh, that was I was facing my third retirement, having had two failed retirements before, and that's when what, I wrote what, a what's book. A, what's a, a what, what's a failed and retirement? A failed retirement is when you. Uh, when you buy into the uh, notion, the secular notion that uh, retirement are, is to be years of uh, leisure and amusement, and um, <laughs> and that these are a great times, golden years. Uh, the people from your part of the country, actually, the the uh, uh, the Sun City folks. You're exactly uh, right. Well, appreciate appreciate that, Phil. The ones who started that whole idea in, in 1960, they started a series of ads that endless leisure and amusement was the ideal. <laughs> and even today, when we see some of the financial service companies' ads on TV, uh, they uh, show it that way. First of all, retired people who are you know 65 or 70, they look like they're 35. And uh, number two, they're all happy and. They're swimming and playing golf and tennis, and that's all they do. Uh, well, I I thought, gee, that that that'd be great if I could be that. I, I would love it. So I got to be sixty years old, uh, my first retirement, and after four months, I was bored to tears. And then I started doing all kinds of things. Anytime anybody asked me to do something, I said yes. And after about four more months, I was busy about 60 hours a week and about 45 hours of it were things I didn't really enjoy doing and I didn't feel productive. And then I began to uh, read more about uh, callings. I read Oz Guinness and others who talk about, you know, how we're supposed to conduct our lives. And I began to realize that, you know, that life is about doing things that are productive and satisfying. You know, there are a lot of things that are productive but aren't satisfying. Um, like uh, maybe, you know... Uh, Swimming and uh, cleaning golf. Out, and... Cleaning out the garbage <laughs> or something. And there are a lot of things that are satisfying but not productive, like, like playing golf. Uh, but then I got into scriptures, and, and that's when I, I realized that, that, you know, I went back to Genesis. I'd really become a fan of the Old Testament in my later life. I went back to Je- Genesis, and I, I realized that if, if, you, if anybody were to say, who is God? The answer is, he's a worker. He's Amen. a creator. He's somebody who's always, you know, fixing things, doing things, creating things, looking over things. And then I, I found in Numbers, I think it's 825, as I recall, where uh, the only time retirement is used in the in the um, in scriptures, in both either the Old or New Testament, uh, God calls on us to, you know, work until we're 50. Well, that's when the retirement when the uh, life expectancy was much less than today. 
Uh, and, and then when we're 50, we're supposed to, quote, retire and spend the rest of our time uh, volunteering to help uh, put up the tent of the tabernacle. And right. so, you know, there's no place in Scripture where it says uh, there's a time in your life after three, four, and ten, for example, that you should uh, give up, you should forget your gifts and uh, retire to a life of endless pleasure and amusement. Now, we both well, use our gifts what does that to the have? very end to, to well, love God and to help others. Yeah, I'm, 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 you're, you're convicting me. I'm wondering what I'm supposed to do about, um, about this down payment I've made in Sun City, you know, to go swimming and play golf for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, are you living in Sun City? No, I'm not. No, I don't think hey, I want to go, go there. You, you can, you can, you can, you know, go across the street someday and tell them there's another way. <laughs> but anyway, I went through, I went through one failed retirement and then. I went to Australia, and then I came back, and I decided, you know, I'm not going to do that again. So I started thinking hard about what uh, uh, what the later life is all about. Because, you know, today, your generation, my generation, we're all going through something that nobody's ever been through before, and that's an extra 25 to 30 years that exists today that didn't exist at the beginning of the last century. Right. And, uh, and, and so we have a whole chapter of life that we don't have much experience with. And I think that um, people are learning that endless leisure and amusement is not the answer, and I'm hoping by work that I do and that others do that people will come to the view that using their gifts to the very end uh, is the way, that it's better to wear out than rust out. And And that's the scriptural way to do it, and that's the fulfilling way to you know, to live your life. We're, so we're, I don't, I'm not really a journalist, so I, I re- what I really do is I, I do write in a newspaper. I write a newspaper column I have for a long time. But what I'm doing now is I'm celebrating the lives of people who are doing uh, interesting, important, and um, uh, life-giving uh, things in their in their later life. People who are helping others. People who are uh, engaging their gifts to make the world a better place. Amen. And I think that, you know, those people are everywhere. People say, how do you find these people? My answer is, they're everywhere. <laughs> but we have all these ads on TV and mass media, and we have these cultural signals that come to us all the time that say that, you know, it's playing golf and enjoying yourself. No, but most people are really doing uh, very important things with the gifts they've developed over the course of their life. And, and the, most of the things they're doing, they're doing to help others and repair the world. Amen. We're, for those who have just turned in, tuned in, we're, um, with, we're speaking with Phil Burgess, who's in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, the subject of our talk today is how can we be productive? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities? And Phil's particular emphasis is how do we do that in these later years um, when our culture tells us it's a time to to quote and unquote retire and swim and play golf? And Phil's challenge to us is that retirement is is not about that. It's about really being productive. So, Phil, in 
in your um, tell us some of the stories of of some of the people that you know who have out of a out of a motivation of faith uh, in Jesus have have really used their lives to to be the incarnation of Christ in the lives of people around them. Uh, I didn't hear your question though. I, it okay. went out on me. Okay. Okay, my question is, in in all the people that you've interviewed and met, uh-huh. what are some of the stories of the people who have really um, reached out and are reaching out to make a difference in their communities and, and who are really being the hands and feet of Christ in their later yeah. years? Well, I think, you know, one of the most important things that we... Uh, First of all, I think we have to start with what what gifts do we have, and and we really have you know three: time, talent, and treasure. And I think that when we think about giving, that most of the time we are we are asked by others, oftentimes people in the church, to think about treasure. Uh, sometimes they're asked to think about and to give money. Uh, sometimes they're asked to think about talent to give of our time and mentoring or other. Uh, uh, activities that involve personal agency, um, but very uh, too le- too uh, few times are we asked to really give a lot of our time. And time is the only thing that can't be replaced. I mean, a, a, a minute or a hour or a day once it's gone, it can't be recovered, and you can't save your minutes, your hours, or your days. Your time. If you lose your talent because of an uh, accident or because you don't practice it for a while, you can regain it. You can do the same thing with treasure. If you lose your treasure, you can regain that. But time is the most valuable resource that we have. It's the most important gift that God gives us. And it seems to me that, you know, that in later life, one of the things you have is time. And the most important uh, issue you have to face as an individual is how you're going to use that time, and and you know when when the when the hymn uh, "Great Is Thy Faithfulness" says, "All I have needed, Thy hand has provided." Uh, we always tend to think of material things, but the first thing that we need is time. We need time to do things, and I think that um, uh, so. So step number one is to really think about how. Am I going to use my time? You know, Augustine said that uh, what you do is who you are. And in our modern world, we usually get that backwards. We say uh, uh, we say that you know what you you have to learn things before you can do them. Augustine says you do things by doing things you learn them. And I think that um, one of the things we have to do is just jump into it. We have to. Uh, get involved, Amen. and and that's what I see. That's what I see people doing every place. In a in a in a local situation here in Annapolis, we have a a group called the um, uh, it's called the Asbury Church Assistance Network, ACAN for short, and uh, they had uh, they 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 feed a thousand people a week. It's a food pantry. And they pick up food every morning from grocery stores, Giant and Safeway and, uh, and, uh, Whole Foods and, and others, 
who contribute their food every day. People don't even know about this, that these corporations do these things. And then these people go around in a truck, and the truck was wearing out. I, I, I did a story on one of the people, one of the volunteers there, and I asked him if I could ride in the truck with him when they got a call from another pantry that had run out of food. And he said, sure. So I climbed in the truck, and it was just full of fumes as we were driving along. And and I said, Linwood, this is a problem. You know, he said, oh, no, he said, I can, he said, it doesn't bother me. I said, yeah, but there's all kinds of things uh, going on here, like carbon monoxide that you can't smell that are a problem. And uh, so to make a long story short, we uh, sent out a letter to people, and within 15 days, we'd raised over $15,000 to get a new truck for them. Wow. And because and because of the uh, of the giving uh, of treasure of of people, uh, others in the community uh, stepped up. Another group stepped up and matched that $15,000, which allowed us to buy essentially a new truck, a new cargo van uh, that could carry, you know. Uh, Lots of food. I mean, uh, they didn't have to make two runs. They had they could make one run and go to three or four stores. Mm-hmm. So then people come. Then the people who gave of their treasure. That's what. That's one thing, and that's good. But then a dozen or so of those people who did that, they started coming around to ACAN. They started coming around, helping to you know uh, unload the boxes, helping to uh, load up the trucks when they're taking out to other. Uh, food pantries, and pretty soon they get involved doing things, and you know it changes their life. I mean, I think that um, you know one of the most important things is to is to get engaged. I mean, if you look at it from a uh, from a secular and medical science point of view, the most the most important predictor of successful aging is social engagement. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from a scriptural point of view, the most important thing that we're supposed to do in our life is to is to be companions to others and to engage in camaraderie. Yeah. That's why in Genesis 2, the Lord, uh, you know, is creating the earth, and he's, everything is good until he creates Adam, and Adam's alone, and he says, this is not good. Right. You know, so I think, yeah. I, I, that, that reminds me of a... Experience I had in Korea uh, about a year ago, and I was teaching um, a group of Indian students that the Koreans had brought from India to Korea for their uh, doctor of ministry program, and um, and I um, I was encouraging uh, these guys, these these mostly pastors, to uh-huh. you know, to not wait until they know how to do something perfectly before they start to do it, but just do it. And, right. uh, you know, Jesus' command to us wasn't, um, okay, lear- go to school and learn how to love your neighbor, and then after you've gone to school and you've got your degree, then start doing it. It's just do yeah. it. Start doing it. Yeah. And um, the leader of the program came up to me and told me, he said, you know, Bob, when when you teach us, you're different than a lot of the Western teachers that we have. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you don't expect us to have the knowledge of what we're doing first. You, you encourage us to go do it. And he said, that fits with us because mm-hmm. we come from a Confucius worldview. 
And in the Confucian worldview, you learn by doing. Mm-hmm. You don't learn first and then do. And, right. And I thought, I think that's so biblical because Jesus, oh, it is. Jesus didn't didn't say, you know, in our in, let's put it this way, in our Western world, you know, we have an emphasis on education. Get the education mm-hmm. first and then do. Yeah, right. But I think the, the Jesus model is you you learn as you do. And right. The Thomas Aquinas influence on our culture, our church culture as well as our Western culture, which is that you learn and then you do. Uh, has really, you know, been devastating in many ways. Uh, I think the Augustinian culture, which came 700 years earlier, 300 years after Jesus, is a much more powerful one. I mean, Nike says, just do it. Uh, <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, my father said, whenever I would put off doing something because I didn't have time, my father would say, in the tradition of Nike and Augustine, he would say, son, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. You know what, Phil? I remember that was such a help to me in our, in our, in the study, in the class that I took, classes I took from you. I had uh-huh. an assignment one time and I just really felt badly that I hadn't done it very well. And I remember you saying to me, and I've never forgotten this. I don't know if you remember saying this, but you said, Bob, anything that's worth doing is worth doing poorly. Uh huh. That shocked me. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. Yes, that's How true. Can you say that. What's that? <laughs> you did say yeah. that. You did say that. Yeah. To me. Yeah. You probably thought. Oh. How can how can he be a professor and say something like exactly. that? Exactly. That's exactly what I thought. But yeah, I was so blown away by that, and that has really. Uh, guided my thinking ever since those days in the in the in the seventies. I, I thought, wow, I just well. The other thing I've learned, you know, uh, celebrating the learning about people and then celebrating their lives in print is um, with this same group that that feeds a thousand people a week. I I one day I was talking with them and and. Uh, one of the volunteers came in and said, you know, we have a problem here because there's a lady out here getting free food and, and, you know, picking up her food, but she's, you know, she's in a really nice Toyota SUV and, and, you know, isn't there something we should be saying about that? And she said, and the director said, just, just go help her. The director who's a volunteer, by the way, so just go ahead and, and help her and, and then come back here and I'll, I'll let me talk to you about her. And so she came back a little later and I was still there and she said, this lady who has a Toyota SUV that's all shiny and new, she said, this lady has three children. The husband left them four weeks ago. He left them with a house that, that had been, um, where the, they, they were, uh, uh, being the house was being repossessed. The only thing that she had was the was the Toyota SUV, which was paid off luckily. And she and the three kids were living in the SUV. Wow. She says so. We have to learn not to judge people by appearances. Wow. We have wow. to learn to take people as they are and help them 
as their need as they needed. And I think, you know, man, that was that was really a sobering uh experience for me. Yeah, sometimes I think Because as much as I think I don't judge people, you know, you realize right then that you do. Right. I th- I think that's so true. I, in the religious um, denominational background that I grew up in, it was so easy to be judgmental. Um, yeah. If you looked at appearances rather than really looking deeply and uh, and and trying to give people the same benefit um, of the doubt that you would want people to give you. So, yeah. Phil, thank you for sharing with us, um, and I hope we've um, we've learned something from our conversation today, and that one of those things is we don't have to know what we're doing perfectly to do it. We shouldn't be judging people as we serve, but when God gives us an opportunity to serve, we need to do that to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their community. Today's testimony of God's love not only inspires us, but now we ask God how he wants us to demonstrate his love in a similar way with others in the church towards our neighbors. Also consider sharing the kingdom and its story with others through the media tab at harvestfoundation.org.